Hi there. I'm Indy Wood, and this is The Local Update, a podcast looking at local issues, events, and personalities from around the Beaker Valley. And today on the program, we're talking about instruments, talking about guitars where the body has been 3D printed. While for many of us, 3D printing has been something that's either way outside our price range or used for creating toys, Nathan Houston and his mate have been busy working out how to change that and are now creating decent quality instruments printed in a 3D printer. We'll learn more about that later in the program. And as we do each week, we'll catch up with Graham Farron. to the local update for a while now, then you may have heard my conversation a few weeks ago with Hugh Pitty, who is the convener of the Friends of the Glebe Park Lagoon, and every year they set about getting a measure of how many grey-headed fruit bats are roosting in the Glebe Park Lagoon. In a, a usual year, they might get up around 20,000 20, or so um, at the peak of the breeding camp. Hugh mentioned to me in that episode that the bats were set to arrive at the end of October, start of November. And, yeah, they did. There's tens of thousands of grey-headed fruit bats now roosting in the trees above the lagoon at the end of my street. And dusk can be a bit of an interesting time around our place as the bats all come to check out what we might have in our yards for them to eat. But it also presents a great opportunity for Graham Farham and I to work out what we can do with that background noise. So Graham spent a bit of time gathering together a few bat-related poems and he and I sat in Glebe Park last week and recorded a couple of those. Very happy today to be quoting from a new book by Clay Thistleton, Noisome Ghosts. That's Noisome Ghosts. This one was given to me by a friend dedicated to um, Clay's son, Dylan. It's copyright 2018. It's got a couple, or it's got an illustration on the um, cover. This is published in London by Blart, books and I'm looking at a poem unusual most of these poems are unusual in here this is um, on page 434 it goes on for a little bit because it's spread over the pages um, this is the Ars des Dombres poltergeist the haunting of Jean-Marie Baptiste Vionnet the Cure de Ars 1824 to 1858 There's a little bit of an introduction here Difficulties of which we can have little conception must stand in the way of producing clear human speech without the intervention of grossly material larynx and throat or their equivalents. That was Charles L. Tweedale. These recordings uh, come from 1927. This is number one. He had burning 
bush issues and the air full of sinister lights could be painfully felt as with a fearful voice the grappin devil shouted Vinny, Vinny, thou art a potato eater. The second recording also comes from 1927-29. Up the chimney, singing like a nightingale, and in the attic the exasperating tramp of a flock of invisible sheep with a prancing, prancing steed in the so-called dining room on four iron shoes was blowing hard and seemed to vomit corn, grain, gravel. Three. 1927 and 1929. Cossacks, in the form of a hideous brood of bats and disembodied bees, buzzing the sensation as of a hand passing over the face, sniffed at him as a dog would pour the recent grave of a man who died unshriven. This is 1927, it's part four. One evening, he had been in bed for a few moments when all of a sudden it seemed to him his couch, which was notionally hard enough, was becoming exceedingly soft. That's that one and there's a few more of those in the form of, um, well, concrete poems, really. I'm very glad to introduce that Clay Thistleton has been on these podcasts before and if you looked back you'd find where he was doing a course for people who um, thought the creative writing might be a good way of letting out some of the steam of the bushfires that we have suffered in 2020. I think it's rather good. Look back, you'll find his website, you can buy the book. Um, I'll, I'll introduce something else new today. Um, this is a book that's in the museum that um, had been lost from me for a little while, but I'll quote from it a little bit when I get the opportunity. Um, I'll give you just the, the title page. Australian Dictionary of Dates and Men of the Time, containing the history of Australasia from 1542 to May 1879 by J.H. Heaton. It was published in Sydney by George Robinson at 125 New Pitt Street and at Melbourne and Adelaide in 1879. At one stage it belonged to Sister Bernice E. Smith of 28 Carp Street, Bega, who um, was a very keen uh, person on history. Um, J.H. Heaton, I'll talk about him on another occasion. I had a look through the book, I had about 60 bookmarks in it, I thought, oh, they've got to go. Um, when I went right to the very back flyleaf, I found a rubber stamp, J.A.S. Grant. Well, I'm not sure if that's the famous Captain Grant of Bega, but I'll look up and see whether those initials match. Um, I got to page 103 as I was pulling out these bookmarks. Um, 102 had told me all about floods and droughts right up to 1878, because the book was actually published, I'm telling you, in 1879. Uh, I'll read a bit from the preface on another occasion when I introduce some other things, but on page 103, uh, floods and droughts, flying foxes. So just a little paragraph, 
flying foxes. Plague of flying foxes, then called bats, visited Rose Hill, New South Wales, February 1791. In brackets, it says, from the numbers which fell into the brook at Rose Hill, the water was tainted for several days, and it is supposed that more than 20,000 of them were seen within the space of one mile. Many of these were of great size. Governor Phillips saw one which measured four feet between the tip of each wing. Yep, that's a large bat, and we've got them happening right here at the lagoon, down off Tartha Road here on the um, eastern side of Bega. We're doing an outdoor recording, which I'm very pleased about. I've got two bat, two bat poems. Um, I mentioned previously that I'd gone to the library at the recommendation of somebody and they'd recommended uh, the best Australian poems of 2015. Well, I looked and I found one for 2010 as well, so I borrowed that and I have quoted from it before. Um, they're published, these books are published by Black Ink and um, A21.4 Best, if you're trying to find it. Uh, published in 2010, as I say, this one. I'll give you the biographies of the people first. Um, the first poem I'm going to quote is Martin Harrison's. He's had selected poems appear in Wild Bees. Now, I understand that's probably the University of Western Australia Press in 2008. Back in 2010, he was working on a new poetry collection and a book about reading Australian poetry. Well, I probably should have read that before I kicked off onto this, but it can't be helped. Um, the other is by a lady, um, Debbie Limms, L-I-M-S, uh, L-I-M. Poems have appeared in many anthologies. She is editorial assistant at Mascara Literary Review. In 2009, she won the Rosemary Dobson Prize, which is probably no mean effort. But I'll do Martin Harrison's first, because we're sitting right here amongst the bats, recalling the bats. Born of the air? Do not believe it. They came from the volcanoes, Etna, Krakatoa, Pinatubo, and all those whose names thrum at a frequency lower than human bones. But most of all, the nameless ones before our time, blown straight up a surveying column of cloud, from slow-pumping ash dense as an underwater roll of mud they were flung, hot cinders cooling to charred bodies which floated off on clear currents. Far away from the source, they populated in dim canopies between boulders, the empty black pitching of caves. Need evidence? Take a, li a live flying fox, wrapped in a towel or any cloth thick enough to calm it, and look into the eye. It is nothing less than pure agate glowing. Peer, peer closer you'll see a million gold filaments flexing like animated wood. The pinhole pupil, a black pipeline travelling endlessly into that tiny, boiling body. Lean over. 
you'll smell acrid fumes. The nostril opening ammonia rising from orange singed fur. You'll understand why these creatures gorge with such relentless clockwork on rain-swollen globes of fruit. It is an antidote to the eternal furnace of the lungs, the furious clamping of their hearts. Only night brings relief. An auditorium of leaves amplifying vocalisations which mimic the hot, dry rub of flint stones sparking into darkness. Only then does air soothe baked leather wings which, hung too long in the naked sun, become an efficient self-heating apparatus of death so that the bats, remembering drag themselves down trunks or drop from branches one by one where they lie, lumps of lava cooling on the ground. That's Debbie Lynn. That's on pages 151 and 152. Slightly less threatening than that one now is something that um, I became aware of very, very long time ago, uh, 30 plus years out on Myrtle Mountain, we were living in an old house. Uh, it was called White Gates then, it's called Dunundra now. Uh, or it had that name at one time. These um, properties change as people come in with new thoughts. Beautiful waterfall there, very private, lovely thing. Um, but the bats used to come in under the door when we were asleep. Um, this, is, this is by Martin Harrison, a little bit of French in here, it's not the flayed mouse, um, but this is 101, 102, and 103. It's called About Bats. The bats which got in last night through the broken extractor fan upstairs while we were talking on the phone. Tiny micro bats with pale chests and black brown wings, three times their pygmy shrewd body size. They touch surfaces in soft, velvet splatters. They land like dusters. Their softness, a word hard to stomach in poems, they make the air flutter when they swerve around. Their speed so fine, they look like dark flames evaporating in mid-space. Well, the bats were that soft. Surprise moment. At first, I thought one of them then thought two, letting one out of the window. Really, there'd been three, whirling in midair like shapeshifters, or like genie, like magic hands in the electric lamplight. The breeze flittering around me, caused by bats. Let's call it Zephyr. French ones are bald mice. Let's call them gentle breeze mice, as the Chinese might do. Acknowledging the way their webbed paws, wings, give a huge circling embrace to a small part of the world. Fitting in through frequency, guessing contours, shearing away and around without sight. Alert through the whole system to the looming bulk tanker, 20 storeys tall on the long, dark, swollen Pacific Ocean the refrigerator near the door, or the fine filigree of currents, my pedestal fan, 
in their flights veer and dart, objects being sensed in their richness along every fibre, in every nerve as possible harshness, as passage and entry, as cloths and clouds through the muscle held forever, as a branch of apple flowers blossoming on the edge, in the river of movements where air and water meet constantly, a river of sun flashes sensitised like a dancer's placing of a physical counterpoint on a rhythm. Bats being themselves makers of shape and shaping, shapers of a purely undefinable intuitive shape, not unlike a gesture of pure thoughtless good intent in which each creature in mind or urge is the same, heard or overheard there's no difference, changes into the volume and shift of things fingered out between thought and love and flesh. Small black bats circling and soaring in the kitchen at night. Martin Harrison, rather good. Graham Farham is the former proprietor of Mumford's Books here in Bega and now a member of Bega's Historical Society. I invite him each week to explore a topic that relates in some way to the Bega Valley. And this week we were sitting in Glebe Park Lagoon here in Bega, which is currently full of bats. You're listening to The Local Update, a podcast looking at local issues, events and personalities from around the Bega Valley. You can find all the info about this episode and previous episodes at indymedia.com.au. Don't forget, you can also subscribe to the podcast using your favourite podcast provider. And subscribing, rating or reviewing the podcast is how this podcast climbs the podcast charts. So I would encourage you to do that too. The local update also broadcast on 93.7 Edge FM, community radio around the Bega Valley, every Sunday morning between 11am and midday. You can catch me there also. experienced a major change to what I knew to be the image of Bega for my whole life. As a young man who has played guitar my whole life and worked in radio, I think I probably spent every dollar that I possibly earned over my young life in one store in Bega, that being Magpie Music. They sold records, CDs, instruments and accessories for me to play guitar and I had a really strong relationship with that business. So when it shut earlier this year, I went into a bit of a state of shock. Not least because it suddenly meant there was nowhere to buy instruments or accessories for instruments in this whole region. Suddenly, as a guitarist, I had to go online. That was it. It was the only option. So I was relieved a few months ago when I spotted that the guys who'd been working as guitar techs in Magpie Music have gone out on their own and opened a much smaller instrument shop that gives us access to buying strings, picks, capos, and they're repairing instruments again as well, which is fantastic. But they've stumbled upon a real gimmick in that they're building guitars themselves and they're printing the bodies of those guitars. Now, that might sound a bit weird, but they're using a 3D printer to print electric guitar bodies and then fixing good quality necks, pickups, and all the other components, and a good set of strings, and making what's a pretty decent electric guitar. I caught up with Nathan Houston recently to find out what it was all about. 
My work colleague, Rob Bonners, he got into 3D printing. He was working as a techie alongside me in a music shop. He rocked in one day with a body that he'd printed. It sort of went from there. Um, we started designing them and printing them. I've recently started building them as, you know, playable guitars. You obviously play. What are they like? They're bloody lovely. Most of your tone comes out of the pickups and neck wood on an electric guitar. The body wood has very little to do with it. Um, there is some sustain aspects with, with wood. They sound as good as any guitar I've ever played. You and I both know, though, as musos, that'd be a hard sell, trying to convince someone who's been playing for 30 years that this is worth playing. It is a hard sell. You get your traditionalists and they, you know, they love their wood and that, but um, I am incorporating both aspects. I'm working on some designs where I get some wood neck through Gibson style, you know, neck through body designs, and then you can build your, your catted 3D print around that. Most people that come in and play one, they actually, at the end of it, they go, wow, you've, you've surprised me. Yeah, I didn't think it would work, but it does. I guess it doesn't necessarily restrict you to what we would understand to be the traditional shape of a guitar, though, does it? Exactly. Anything's possible. The, um, it's really just a limit of your imagination, I guess. Um, you've sort of got to keep body shapes fairly similar, just for balance, really, when you're playing at just the way it feels comfortable. But anything's possible. People can bring in their own artwork and, and then we can design a body or you know, personalise it for the player themselves. So you're printing the bodies. What happens from there? The main thing is getting all your neck pockets and your pickup cavities and all that spot on on the CAD design. Then we print it. Once it's printed, I basically fit pickups, a neck, a bolt-on neck, same as any fender strap would have. And then it's a matter of fine-tuning everything and fitting all the running gear and components, machine heads, the tone pops, the caps, and depending on what the customer wants is depending on what pickups we put in. Um, so you, you, know, you can start with entry-level pickups and, and if you want really high-end pickups, the price obviously increases. When we talk about making a guitar out of wood, you know, we, we cut the shape and then we sand it back and make it all nice but when you're working with a 3d printer there must be a lot of thought put into making sure that everything's working all right as it's happening yeah that's very true if you've got your printer running nicely then chances are you'll have a successful print but yeah 3d printing's a funny game you run into lots of issues all the time uh, they're very temperamental you're quite often adjusting settings on the fly because it takes about five days to print a body. So there's a lot of vibration and stuff that can go on in that five days and send stuff out. So you really have to monitor it and you have to have a lot of patience. Yeah. And you'd want to hope that it's working over five days, wouldn't you? You'd really be watching it over a five-day thing. Yeah, you do because you get to the end, uh, you know, I've had a few prints about three three and a half days in and it fails uh, the nozzle might block and it's just printing nothing in thin air and uh, or it, you get what they call stringing where it, it layer shifts on the bed or it doesn't stick to the bed and then yeah you just run into all sorts of it looks like spaghetti at the end of it generally 3d printed items look like they're coming out of just plastic crap so 
are we just making more plastic waste? No, we're not. I use PLA plastic, which is a refined cornstarch. It's 100% biodegradable. The other advantage I see to it is if we're using these mediums that are biodegradable, we can leave some of the rainforest timber alone that we've been, you know, raping for guitars and, and, and instruments for hundreds of years. So, um, and the other thing I'm looking at, and it's early days yet, but if there's some way that we can actually recycle plastics that we can drag out of the ocean and turn them into something useful, um, that's a long way off, but yeah, I'd really like to get you know, some more ideas on that and, and research into that and see what we can do. Being a guitar tech and a guitarist, printing 3D guitars was an obvious step. Are you looking at other instruments as well, though? Uh, yeah, yeah, you can do some really good electric violins, ukuleles. I've got an acoustic guitar design in the works at the moment, which is quite interesting. Cause well, yeah, that's hollow body. That yeah. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be printed in, in a couple of parts but because um, of the size of the thing. But it's there's one guy in the States that I've seen has had a successful print with it. Um, the beauty of that is... It's the sort of instrument you can just take it down the beach when you go camping and not stress out about the wood moving and then it can get sand in it. You can bloody hose the thing out at the end of it if you want. But they still sound really good. That's a good six months off. We talked before about it being perhaps being a battle with the, the hard and fast old guys who, who've played guitars for years, but as far as the school kids, it must be a real draw card. Yeah, they're, they're loving it. Beggar's so full of talented youth. Well, the whole South Coast is... Um, so a lot of these lads are coming in and, yeah, they're, they're fascinated. They really are. And, you know, once they play it, they realise it's just like any other guitar. The choices are endless, really. I mean, companies have been copying Les Pauls and Fender Strats for 80 years now, like, and that's all they seem to do. I mean, I, I, I feel like it's time we could sort of move on and, you know, I love them, don't get me wrong. Les Paul and, and Leo Fender were just you know, legends. I wouldn't be here without them, but um, yeah, I think it's time to sort of mix it up. How many people are doing this kind of thing? Well, I mean, around the world, but around Australia, there must not. You must be one of a few. There's a company in Ireland, Emerald Guitars, that do high-end carbon fibre. You know, you're looking at twelve grand a guitar. Um, another company I recently saw is is venturing into 3d printed electric guitars but um, they, they tend to just look like every other standard guitar I'm more into the artistic creative side of it I don't know of anyone really doing what I'm doing it's a new game really hopefully I'm in at the right time hopefully it'll, people will like them some of these bodies that I've seen look like they're kind of see-through is that an advantage for printing or is it just in a design gimmick it's just a design thing. You've got all sorts of options. People can see through your guitar on stage. Um, you can put lighting inside the guitars. You can do all sorts of weird and wacky designs. I've got a mouldy fella that wants his ancestry sort of put onto the body as well. Um, but that's got to be done by a mouldy artist. I can't, I can't do that. But if, if the right guy does it, then I can print it. And, and that just incorporates that sort of design into a body that just doesn't look like your typical body, I guess, yeah. So we can do cultural stuff, you know, all sorts. Um, 
Lithopane's another one. That's a very um, successful 3D printing thing where people bring their, they can bring a photo in and we can print it into a, just a curved sort of, it looks like a piece of plastic, but you put a hot light behind it and the image comes out. Yeah. Um, as people are um, loving that. So we're looking at maybe incorporating that into a guitar as well, where you, know, you can personalise it for people. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it's a bit like tattooing. Take a design or drawing yeah. and kind of develop from there. Well, it is. Yeah, it is in a way. You want some... AutoCAD sort of skills, which I'm I'm scratching the surface. My colleague Rob Bonnes of LRB Solutions, he he's the man that I get to do most of the design work and the fine tuning on that, and I'm the builder. There also is a beautiful site, a um, couple of sites online, like one called Thingiverse, where 3D printing communities share their ideas. And you can grab, you can grab a design there. You can buy a license to print stuff that people have designed. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a really good community base. Um, and that's how we did our first design was just grab somebody else's that they'd done. We asked his permission, he gave it, and we just changed all the neck pocket and, the, and, and yeah, to, to actually be a professional guitar. The last thing we probably should talk about is where are you and when are you open? Yeah. Ah, I'm at 145 Auckland Street in Bega, New South Wales, on the south coast. I'm open from 9 till 4, Monday to Friday. I'll probably go to 5 as summer comes in. Um, and then 9 till 1 on Saturday mornings. Can people find you online, social media, any of that sort of stuff? Yeah, social media on Facebook. Um, just look up 3DGT Guitars on Facebook and my page will pop up. I'm working on a website at the moment where customers can actually sort of custom build and pick what they want in a guitar on the website. That's a little way off yet as well. Nathan Houston and Rob Bonaires work together at 3DGT Guitars here in Bega. You can find links to their Facebook page at indiemedia.com.au and you'll find details on their Facebook page about the instrument repair services they provide, the 3D printed guitars, the instruments they sell, and all the accessories they've got too. You've been listening to The Local Update, a podcast looking at local issues, events, and personalities from around the Bega Valley. A huge thank you to my guest this week, Nathan Houston, for his time, and to my regular contributor, Graham Farham. You can find all the info you need about The Local Update at indiemedia.com.au. You'll find details there on how to contact me if you've got a story idea. You can subscribe to the podcast straight from the website or using your favourite podcast provider. Indie Media recognises the Yuan people as the traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast and pays respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Don't forget you can also catch the local update every Sunday morning between 11am and midday on 93.7 Edge FM, community radio around the Bega Valley. Thanks so much for your time again this week. I'll catch you again next time. Bye now.